Um, well, welcome. I don't know if you get the feeling, if you're visiting this afternoon, that we're a little bit chaotic. Well, I certainly feel that way. John Lumgear described it very well. He said, we need to t- spin you around a few more times, blindfold you, and then send you on. And then we know what you feel like. So um, that's a little bit what it's like at the moment. We just um, moved house, but we haven't quite. Um, so there's a lot of dust and mess and stuff to be done in the house. So we're semi-in. And then Lucy's ill, and Henry's ill, and Finn's been ill. Um, I'm feeling quite well physically, but a little disorientated. And I imagine that a number here are as well. Um, and so why don't we pray and ask for God's help as we look at this passage and ask that by his spirit he would speak into our specific situation and that this, his eternal word, might change us by the power of his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you so much that Jesus spoke then and the disciples recorded his words. Matthew, the apostle, recorded his words. And by your spirit, those words live on today. Thank you that we can experience the Lord Jesus speaking to us as much now as those first hearers did then. And we praise you for that. And we plead with you that uh, you might therefore change us and shape us as you changed and shaped them. So that we would know what it means to live life for the King, the King, the Lord Jesus, who speaks to us now. In his name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, this afternoon we are beginning a series called Stories from the King. And in Matthew chapter 13, there are lots of parables. And as we get into them, we'll see he starts each one or the explanation of each one with the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, But initially we get this opening section um, where we get to see a little bit what parables are for. Um, and so, as an opening discussion to get you engaged so that it's not just me talking, I want you to chat around your tables or to the person sitting next to you um, about what do you think someone would say if you walked up to someone on the street now and they'd heard of Jesus and you said, why do you think Jesus told stories? Why do you think Jesus told stories? What do you think their reaction would be? What answer would they give? Why did Jesus tell stories? Just chat about that now. <laughs> You may know an answer in your head, but think about what a person on the street would say. Okay, just a short discussion there. What, what kind of answers do you think people would give? Come shout out what your neighbour said. Um, Carl and Hayley, what did you say? Or what, what did your what did your hearer say on the street? Well, I mean, I, I thought that he, he told stories so that people would understand his message. People, so people would understand his message. Yeah. What what other things? 
people say and other, other little things. Everyone nodding in agreement with that kind of thing? Yeah. Could be more cynically, somebody said, well, he's just making it up. So he had to tell stories because there's no substance. Okay. So he just sort of made up a story. Yeah, yeah, the cynic would say, yeah, he just told nice stories to win people over making it up. Yeah. Or to make. Uh, yeah, go on. It's raised the cultural thing all the time. Yes. People express their ideas and stories in a style, in a style. Yes, yes. The custom of the time, the tradition. Yes, exactly. People loved hearing stories. It was an oral tradition. People didn't have as much written down. And they were Yes, exactly. Exactly. So he needed to tell stories to, to draw people in and so on. And so you might hear things like, yeah, to make deep truths clear and simple or simple stories for simple people or, um, as Carl was saying, to... Uh, to, to help explain things to people and so on. Um, and um, uh, so with that in mind, we're going to dive in and see a little bit more, because Jesus does actually tell us the purpose of parables. But let's get a bit of the context. And what I've done is I haven't got any kind of big points. Instead, you've got the thing in front of you, and we're going to work through pretty much every word, and you can circle things, and you can question mark things. You've got pens and pencils in front of you, and you can test <coughs> whether what I'm saying is what Jesus says, or whether I'm just making it up. That you really can test. So, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. That same day. The same day as what? Well, um, I should have had more Bibles on the tables than we're in the process of getting those. So, um, don't worry. I'll just tell you that in chapter 12, uh, and in verse 15 in particular, we're told that loads of crowds came to Jesus who just healed someone on the Sabbath day, on the Saturday. And loads of people came with their sick and their ill, and he healed all who were ill, we're told, in chapter 12. So no wonder we then get verse 2. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat. He had to get into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. There were so many people crowding up to him, they were almost sort of pushing him into the sea. So he had to get in a boat to be able to project his voice across the crowds. And so we're thinking, this is your big moment, Jesus. You've had all this time to attract massive crowds. You've done all these amazing miracles. You've healed people. You've raised people to their feet. You've um, even raised the dead. This is your big moment, Jesus. They're crowding around so much. They're sort of just all across the shoreline. You can just imagine them heaving crowds wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. Come on, Jesus, tell them what they want to hear. Tell them what they need to hear. Preach it, Jesus. Then he told them many things in parables, in stories, saying, A farmer went to sow the seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So there's Jesus' message. Now I want you to get back into your tables and your pairs and to discuss, what do those verses tell you about God if they're the only thing you heard? And this is the only thing some people heard. What do those verses tell you about God? If that's the only thing you heard, just discuss that in your groups.
Okay, I think that can be a short discussion as well. What, what, what are we getting there? What do you think that? Uh, what do you think it tells us about God? Just those verses, verses three to eight. Go on, Carl. Well, I think he's been confused. You might think he's talking to a bunch of farmers who know what he's talking about. Right, okay. There's no application. Yeah, well, I mean, it was an agricultural society. Maybe that was it. It has to help you set realistic expectations about farming. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's so realistic expectations about farming. That, that's helpful. What does it tell you about God? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And yet Jesus cries out, whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen to me, listen to me. You've got to hear this. And so it's not any surprise, is it, that we then get verse 10. Just imagine their frustrated voice. Jesus is drawn in all these crowds. And then they start to dissipate. And the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, why do you speak in parables? I mean, Jesus, seriously, we, we've heard you already. You've got some really deep things to say. I mean, we heard you on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that was amazing. And I know this is a society of farmers, but, but Jesus, you're a carpenter. And if they wanted to go to a farming conference, they could do an awful lot better than that. But why tell them a story like that? Come on, Jesus. Play to your strengths. Just, just do some more miracles. Look, look they're, they're heading off now, Jesus. There's just a few of us left. But that's the point. Jesus' story didn't end with verse 8. It ended with verse 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. He ended this story with an appeal for people to listen. He's saying, if you're, if you're willing to listen to me... Come close and listen carefully. But what we see happening is the crowds disappear. They come for the miracles. They come for the magic show, for the useful stuff that Jesus can give them, for the way that he can sort out the problems in their life. But when it becomes clear that Jesus just wants to talk, they head off. And what we get with this parable is a division. A division between those who are willing to get to know Jesus and those who are not really. And the extraordinary thing we see is it's deliberate. Jesus, in teaching the parables, in teaching this parable, wants to create a division. So the disciples ask him the question in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replies, verse 11, Jesus replied, because, because, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. I imagine you're starting to feel uncomfortable. Jesus is supposed to be inclusive and and loving, isn't he? And yet he's creating a division between you, those around him who've been given the secret knowledge, and them who've not. But if you're feeling uncomfortable, it gets worse. 
As Jesus divides between the haves and the have-nots. Verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Okay, there it is. Plain and simple. Parables. Far from being inclusive, simple, easy to understand stories, are deliberately divisive. It seems shockingly unfair, doesn't it? But before we get upset, we need to work out what exactly it is that divides. Yes, it's a division between the haves and the have-nots, but what is the thing that they have? Well, it's certainly not money or social status. It's not that kind of have and have-not, as we normally use the term. No, the thing here you either have or you don't have is the desire to respond to Jesus' appeal to listen in verse 9. Jesus says, verse 9, Whoever has ears, let them hear. If you've got a set of ears on your head, listen to me. You need to listen to me. So it's the desire to listen to Jesus, the desire to know Jesus, the desire for a relationship with Jesus. That division is based on the desire to listen. So why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, it was to draw in those who wanted to know him personally. You see, you may have heard this illustration before, but parables are a bit like automatic doors. Hopefully you'll start to realise what I mean. You see, if you come towards automatic doors, let's imagine automatic doors into a fantastic building. And there's something like Harrods or Selfridges, but everything is freely available. You don't have to pay for it. Now, if you come close to those doors with the aim of coming in, well, they open for you and they draw you in, don't they? And you get to experience all the blessings of being on the inside. But if you just seem interested from a distance, then they remain closed. And what's inside remains, well, a a secret to you that you never get to experience. Jesus is the king who speaks in parables because, verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So to his followers, Jesus says, you're part of the kingdom, because you know me, the king. And as with any relationship, in the kingdom, our relationship with Jesus will grow and will deepen as we get to know him better. And how do you get to know someone better? Through their words. If all we did was just look at each other, or sort of observe the things that each other are doing, we wouldn't have a much deeper relationship than a dog and a cat. But because we speak to each other, we get to know each other really well. We get to know each other deeply and intimately. We get to know the deepest truths about each other. And so we listen to Jesus' words and we get to know him. And that's why verse 12 says, whoever has, as in whoever listens, whoever comes close wanting to know me, will be given more and will have in abundance. You see, that's what we're made for. We're made for a relationship with God. And Jesus is God in the flesh, come to show us God himself. And as he speaks, God speaks. 
And as we get to know him, we get to know the living God. And we can deepen our relationship with him as we listen to his word. And that will have ultimate fulfilment in the new creation, in heaven itself, where we'll get to see him face to face. And that relationship will be perfect and we'll be able to talk to him and hear from him as much as we like. But if you have no real desire to listen, well, he says, you're not in the kingdom. And if you have no real desire for Jesus to be your king and, and to show you and to teach you the best way to live under his good and loving control, well, then he will give you what you ask for. And ultimately, the little knowledge that you do have of him will be taken away. You see, that's what sin is. Sin isn't just doing little things wrong. It isn't just the slip-ups we do. No, sin is a, a whole attitude. And it's an attitude of independence from God. It's an attitude that says, God, I don't need you. God, you can stay over there. Occasionally, when I want to know some information about you, I'll ask. But for most of my life, I'm just going to live it as if you don't exist. You don't have to be an atheist to have that kind of opinion. See, that expression of independence from God is saying, I can live my life on my own, I don't need you. But we're made for a relationship with God. We're made for a relationship with God, like, like a branch is made for a relationship with the tree. And for us to say, God, I don't need you, is as stupid as a branch saying to the tree, I don't need you. It might look alive once you cut it off, but all it can do is die. All it can do is die, because it's cut off from the source of life. And we're made for a relationship with God, like a branch is made for a relationship with a tree. We need to know him, we need to depend on him. We need to listen to him, and by listening to him, draw on the sap from the tree, and allow him to make us flourish. And if we don't have a relationship with him, well, like automatic doors, he will stay back and stay closed. So these parables, they... They both draw people in. Those who actually came to listen to Jesus, to want to get to know Jesus, they think, that was a strange story. Why did he tell that? Like the disciples asked, why did you speak in parables? And they get to find out, and next week we'll get to see what that parable means. But also those doors, they stand in judgment, don't they? If you're there, and the three Harrods is in front of you, and you just stand at a distance and think, I'm not going to go close. Well, those doors judge you, don't they? They shut you out. They keep you out. You're never going to experience the secrets of the amazing things of the free Harrods behind those doors. And in the same way, if we just know tidbits about Jesus, but stay back and don't come close and listen to him, well then, the doors remain closed in judgment against us because he gives us what we've asked for, life without him. And ultimately, that's what Jesus calls hell. Life without him and without anything good for all eternity. It's the judgment Jesus describes when he quotes from Isaiah in verse 13. We're going to keep going through the passage. Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, just in case they miss the message. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. 
It's extraordinary, isn't it? Jesus seems to be saying his parables are deliberately unclear, deliberately cryptic. Jesus says in his parables that some of his listeners will not see here and will not hear or understand. And maybe that feels uncomfortable, but do we see that that blind and deaf condition is deliberate and self-inflicted? Just look on in verse 15 as we keep reading. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. The offer of a restored relationship with God through Jesus is there. Jesus' appeal to listen and come close and know him and to have life to the full with him couldn't be clearer. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But if we don't respond to his call, then the doors remain closed. But if we do come and listen to Jesus, then something wonderful happens, doesn't it? Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. That word blessed, so often it's just been shrouded in kind of religious confusion, hasn't it? If we think of the priest saying, bless you my son, bless you my child, and sort of, we don't really know what that means. But to be blessed, it means to be profoundly, deeply, richly happy, delighted, joyful. And it's an image of like we've, we've entered a mansion, we've entered that free Harrods, full of treasure and been told, all this is yours. And we're just gazing around in amazement, thinking this is absolutely wonderful, I can't believe it. My eyes, they just can't take it all in. My ears, what I'm hearing. But this is mine. It's amazing. But, but it's not stuff. It's not wealth. It's real, vibrant relationship with the God we were always designed to know and love. The God whose love we were made to experience. You see, Jesus is the King. God on earth. And he offers you meaning and purpose and direction to your life. If only you'll let him by listening to him. Now as we get to the end of the passage, I want us just to dig a little bit deeper. And ask, why exactly is it that Jesus calls his teaching on the kingdom secrets? In verse 11. Initially, I I thought, as I was reading it, there's a sense of intimacy there, isn't there? Because um, with a secret, you have to know someone to share the secret with them. And I quite quite like that idea, uh, but I don't think it's the best explanation. In fact, I listened to someone else, uh, much brighter than I am, who told me that uh, the original Greek word there is, and I'm going to say it in Greek, but you'll know what it means immediately, is mysterion which is where we get the English word mysteries. And you see the word mystery picks up on a major theme throughout the whole of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible before Jesus came, of how the mystery of God's rescue plan is unfolding. And Jesus refers to this as the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to you. Because in Old Testament prophecy, in all that comes before Jesus, we're told that God's rescue plan will involve The Messiah, the Messiah who's going to come and save his people. But also we're told in the Old Testament 
that for the rescue to come about, we need a, a great high priest. And we also need a suffering servant. And we also need a sacrificial substitute. And we also need the eternal divine Lord and Judge who's going to rule and reign. We need all these things to come together. And we're thinking, well, how is that possible? But only with the coming of Jesus do we see how this mystery can be fulfilled in one man, in the God-man. In Jesus, we see the mysteries of the kingdom revealed and explained. Now, Jesus makes that even clearer if we're in any doubt in verse 17, our next verse. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people, that's those in the Old Testament, long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Those Old Testament prophets and people of God long to see the fulfilment that, that we come see come together in Jesus, the Messiah King. Jesus says he is making sense of the whole Bible. Because until he came, the first half of the Bible was still full of mystery. Mystery that they were anticipating would be revealed. But mystery nonetheless of how exactly God was going to rescue people. But by getting to know Jesus, the Bible comes alive. You see, we're immensely privileged. Verse 16. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Now there's no room for pride here, is there? We could start to think that the, the division between us and them, that somehow we've got it, or we're clever, we've walked towards the door, we've listened to Jesus, we've done what he said. Now oh, those people, they're, they're rubbish, they haven't. No, there's no room for pride. Because we're told in verse 12, verse 12, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Given to you, it's a gift. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we've achieved through our own cleverness. No, through the kindness of God, he's opened our eyes to see who the Lord Jesus is and to come in and listen to him. And so that should give us a great humble gratitude. We don't deserve this, but God in his kindness has shown us the Lord Jesus Christ who came to rescue us. It should also prompt us to pray for people, to pray for those whose eyes haven't been opened, whose ears haven't been unblocked, who haven't had the opportunity to hear about Jesus yet. And to go out and share the great news with them. It's great that we've got the prayer meeting coming up this week. And we can really pray for people like that. That we might go out with Jesus' amazing message. And that they might hear and understand. But for us, we need to think deeply about how we can give time to listen carefully to Jesus. So that we can really know him. As he speaks to us in his word. So often, don't we? We, just, we read Jesus' words and we think, oh, I don't really get that. And then we just move on. And we're like those crowds, listening to that parable. Thinking, that was some not very deep cultural truths. We're off. But instead, we need to listen and then listen again and think again. Because Jesus says he will explain things to us if we let him. And by his Holy Spirit... He still works in us and he gives us understanding and we can say, open my eyes, open my ears, help me to understand, help me to get to know you, Jesus, because I want to have that relationship with you that I was made for. 
<coughs> and so it is in verse 18, Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. But that's for next week. But as we close, I want to ask you, do you really want to know Jesus personally? Is that something you desire for yourself? Or are you just interested in him because of the stuff he can give you? We're going to think about that a lot more next week. But so often we come to Jesus, we like the fact that he's there on the side, that he gives us forgiveness. But actually he came so that we might know him personally. That we might get to know him more deeply in his word. Is that you? Do you want that? Well, I'm going to pray now, and then I'm going to set up a little bit of discussion after I pray, and then John's going to come back and lead us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you uh, shatter our preconceived ideas, the things that we come with, assuming that you spoke in stories to just make simple things clear or complicated things clear, or to tell us nice, engaging things to draw us in. We're amazed to see that you told this parable almost to push people away. But we're frightened that that might be us, that we're those who, who just listen to you and then just get on with our lives and forget that you actually want us to come close and really listen and for your word to shape and change us. And so we plead with you that you might give us a real and deep relationship with yourself. We pray that this would be a church where people can hear your voice again and again. So that you might uh, change us. And that none of us would be satisfied with where we're at. Because we can always get to know you more deeply in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I think it would be good for you to discuss around your tables how we can put some of this into practice. I've given some ideas in in general terms, but what kind of things, what attitudes do you feel that that God is going to work in you and perhaps you feel you need to change or shape or an an attitude change or a practice and so on that you want to change in the light of what you've heard? And discuss that with your group and see if there are specific things that apply to each of us. And then how it can shape and change us as as a church in our attitude to those who are on the outside, who are looking at the automatic doors, as it were, and wondering whether to come in. Um, so let me um, get you to, to chat in your groups about that, and then I'll come back up. Thanks. Um, let me encourage you to draw those discussions to a close now, but to pause them rather than to press stop altogether, and um, after the service to keep chatting about those things over tea. But does anyone... Does anyone was anyone particularly struck by what one of your neighbours said or someone around the table and thought, actually, this is worth all of us hearing? Everyone's going to be feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I said not particularly for <laughs> <laughs> Helen said something great. Go on, what did she say? Go on. So you were talking about how um, you found, sometimes you found you just glossed over in Bible reading, but since yeah. you started reading the Bible out loud... You've actually found that the deliberateness yeah. of that has helped you reading to take in saying, own. "Yeah, I find it a lot more helpful if yeah. I read it out loud." Do you do it on the bus? Oh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
that's the next step, is it? <laughs> or that would just make people think you're weird. Um, but yeah, that, that deliberateness of, oh, Lord, I'm struggling to understand this, it's just glossing over me, and then just reading it out loud, it's really helpful. We were talking about when we've got questions, asking those questions together, that's why Bible studies are very helpful, isn't it? Any other best thoughts? You've got to work on your neighbours. <laughs> um, let me just throw in one more. I, I was really struck just in the last couple of weeks, um, been reading a book on prayer that John was prodding me to read um, by Tim Keller uh, called Prayer. And um, uh, he very helpfully highlights the fact that um, uh, meditating on God's word is not, is not a weird thing, um, but it's a way of having a conversation with God. And I think... I sort of have so easily stuck with my Sunday school definition of Bible reading and prayer. So the Bible is God talking to us, prayer is us talking to God. And I've kind of separated those two things. And what he encouraged in that book, which I don't think is anything particularly new, um, I think he was grasping what a lot of the psalmists are doing and, and a, lot of, a lot of what we see in the Bible is, is as we read the Bible, talking it back to God. And... and um, allowing him to answer our questions. So looking at a passage and thinking, God, I'm struggling to understand that. Father, please, would you, would you make it clear to me because I'm struggling with this bit. And expecting clarity to come, expecting a kind of ongoing conversation as we read through the passage and praying in the light of it. You know, if, if it's a clear passage, but we're um, struggling to put it in practice. You know, just reading it out and saying... Father, please help me to live this out in this area, in this area, and help me to think of other areas in which... And and to see Bible reading and prayer as very much the same thing. It's a conversation with God. um, And expect him to speak because we're told his word is living and active. Um, And so it will be conversational. Um, So I found that helpful. Um, I want to think about it more. But let's uh, do that together. I'm going to hand back to, to John.